you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn into the book of Mark chapter 10, or there's a pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to look on with that Bible and take out your sermon notes if you'd like to take notes. Last Sunday, we spoke on Jesus blessing the children uh, out of Mark chapter 10, verse 13 and 16. So we were doing a series about children, Pastor Kevin and, and I, we, when we talk about these messages, and so we were focused on children, and um, God is stirring us up to elevate children in, in our church and ministry. And so when we were looking at this portion of passage of Scripture, I was tempted personally to, to, to just skip over it because it's, t- it's talking about Jesus view on marriage and divorce. And most of us experience in some way or another the emotional pain that divorce leaves, that gives. And some of you I know that uh, are, this is fresh. This is like a scab being torn emotionally on your heart as we talk about this subject. And divorce stir up a lot of emotions. So some of you as, as children, you, 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 when we talk about this, you go back to things that happened in your, your life, growing up years, and it's painful. Some of you have experienced divorce um, in your own marriage. And, um, and so I don't want to add sorrow upon sorrow. I want to bless today. I'm asking God to, to help me to say words that will be fitting to help us to go forward. Not to just stir up the past to keep us in the past, but to move forward. And so it's important. And then as I got to study in this, there is some really good stuff here about marriage that I think it's important for us to take a Sunday and go through these verses. I want you to understand, if you're here and you have suffered through divorce in some way or the other, I want you to understand that God loves you. God doesn't love you less because of that. You're not less of a, of a person. You're not a failure as a Christian. Some of you had no power in that, no say in that. Some terrible things that you've experienced and maybe previous marriages or what family members have gone through and taking you through divorce. So uh, again, I just have to say, say again that God loves you and, and he's, he's there for you and we're here for you and we love you. And it's not that you're tainted or anything like that. Please, that's a lie of the devil, of the enemy. You don't listen to what he says. You are a child of the king. We just sang about that. You are a creation of God, and God will use you even those experiences in his life. Listen, he takes that and turns around to make good come out of it. Oh, uh, if you just turn that and release that to him, amazing things will happen how he will use your experiences, both good and both bad in our life. And when we come to marriage, there is some different thoughts about what, what marriage is. Basically, when you, when you boil it down, there's a worldview and, the, and there's a biblical view of 
marriage and, and how we see the world. There's a worldview and there's a biblical view. Uh, worldview comes from the thoughts and the creation of man. Biblical view comes from the thoughts and, and the creation of the creator of our world. And so Jesus um, says some really good things for us today about marriage and about divorce. So let's start reading in Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. And let me read verse 1 and make some comments as we go through this passage. Verse 1 of chapter 10, Mark, then he says, Then he rose from there, and this is Jesus. So Jesus rose from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. Multitudes gathered to him again, and he was as he was accustomed, and he taught them again. Now let's stop here and say, as we as we go through this, in in the book of Mark, we're going through a transition. And remember, we've been talking some things. Pastor Kevin and I have been preaching about you know the Sea of Galilee, the miracles and the healings, and all that happened. Sea of Galilee, and he's manifesting who he was, and all that. And but now there is a difference that is happening from the rest of the book of Mark. There is a transition, both of location from the Sea of Galilee. Now he is heading towards Jerusalem, and it's six months out towards the cross at Jerusalem. So this is where we find Mark chapter 10. He faces, he is now facing towards the cross. He's moving towards what it's called. And, and we know this also will be openly, not because of location, direction, the way he's going, but also the way he is, his verbiage is the words. He starts openly to declare later on in a few verses down in, in Mark chapter 10, talks about the death, burial, and resurrection. He is openly now talking about this. He's bringing this to their attention. It's to the surface because he's heading towards the cross. Let's go to verse 2. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. Now stop and think about this. Divorce was very common in those days as it is in our days. So then how can the Pharisees be testing Jesus? They're testing Jesus and there's actually they're setting a trap and so we ask our question, uh, the question is, how is this a trap that the Pharisees are, are setting? All right? So let's look at what Jesus said, verse 3 and verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. All right. So let's stop there and look um, back at Moses. Moses said this, and you can write this down, but in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of the house. Okay, so understand that when, when Jesus was talking here, to the Pharisees that at that time there were two main thoughts and teaching about divorce from the Pharisees. The first one was from a rabbi, Helio, and it was a very strict conservative view that divorce should only happen for immoral reasons such as adultery. It will be also maybe long-line abuse as well. 
And that is closer to the biblical view of what uh, divorce is. But there was a second one which was very popular. And it was one that these Pharisees held on to. And it was, and it was uh, a, taught a liberal uh, view. Excuse me, I got that backwards. Rabbi Shammai was taught a strict conservative. Rabbi Hilia taught a very liberal view that divorce can happen with anything that pleases that displeases the husband, the man. Anything. William Barclay described this, and he said this, of this rabbi on divorce, he said this. They said that it could mean if a wife spoiled a dish of food, if she talked to a strange man, if she spoke disrespectfully of her husband's relations in his hearing, if she was a brawling woman, one who was defined as a woman whose voice could be heard in the next house. I mean, there was just about anything that they could write. My wife is a great cook. I think I've only had one meal that she's ever burnt in, in, in our marriage. And I could have, because she burnt a meal, been justified by that, that position to write a certificate of divorce. This is how this belief was that came to the Pharisees and they come to Jesus and they ask him this question. There was extreme views that even uh, some rabbis taught and even if her looks displeased you, you could write a divorce. So, when, so here's the, the Pharisees asking Jesus this question. It's the popular view. But there's another story, another point to the story, and, it, and it's because that they are leaving Sea of Galilee. They're heading towards Jerusalem, and they ask this question in the area where King Herod Antipasus was the king, the Roman appointed ruler over the Jews. Here's the backstory of King Herod. Remember, they're setting a trap. He said, it said that he was, uh, King Herod was married earlier in his life and he didn't like his wife, so he divorced her and he, and he remarries a woman named Herodias of the Herod family, Herodias. Who is Herodias? Well, she was from the family of Herods. She marries her uncle and has a daughter by that marriage. And it's said that when Herod Antipasus visited Rome, he was entertained by Philip, who was his brother, and who was married to Herodias. Herod either, some says that he may have even abducted um, Herodias, or at least had an affair with his brother's wife, and he schemed a plan to get married. Now he, Herod, Antipasus, was married. His own wife, an Arabian princess, was an obstacle to her an illicit marriage, so he divorced her, divorced, divorced her, <laughs> divorced, 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 it, it means the same. <laughs> I'm going to have a new television program, Steve, called Divorce. <laughs> he works for The Voice. <laughs> 
So he divorced her, and Herodias, Herodias becomes queen in her place and with her daughter. Herodias, who was displeased when John the Baptist came along the scene, and reprimanded King Herod that it wasn't lawful for the king to marry Herodias. Herodias influenced King Herod to cut John, John's head off. I believe the real question that the Pharisees were asking was, King Herod, was King Herod, our Roman ruler, lawful in divorcing his wife? Now, if Jesus answers yes, okay, he was lawful in divorcing his first wife, he goes against what John the Baptist proclaimed. He goes even can go against what Moses was teaching, the true teaching of Moses. And plus, it gives um, a, a predicament that uh, could upset, you know. Um, I mean, excuse me, but if he says no, he goes against the popular view of divorce and he's in danger of being executed from King Herod like John the Baptist. I hope you see what I'm saying. If he said yes, he's, a, he's going against John the Baptist and Moses' teaching and identifying with these Pharisees that you can divorce for any reason. If he says no, he's in danger of being executed from the King Herod like John the Baptist. That's the trap. I love what Jesus does, because Jesus, the traps are set, but Jesus always unsets the trap. Let's go to verse 5 and read, to verse, uh, read a few verses. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Now, first of all, in your notes, if you're taking notes, divorce was given as a means of mercy because of hard hearts. Moses, the reason he gave divorce is because they were actually, they were marrying, people, marrying ladies, and they were, as they were married, then they didn't like something, and they would just, you know, uh, say, you know, leave. And they would um, basically um, kick them out of the house. And these, these women would go out, and they would try to survive now that they weren't married, but in the public eyes view, they were still married and nobody would, another husband wouldn't come along because they were still married. So Moses gave them a, a certificate of divorce so then that they could say, well, I'm not married anymore to so-and-so. He doesn't want to be married to me. And because of that, then they could go forward and remarry and have their needs taken care of in life. So this was... This is about taking care of, of a problem here. And Moses responded. You know what say this, that God responds like this over and over again in our life. He takes care of us. We get into hard heart situation. We make uh, decisions, and there's consequences of all the decision. But yet God comes along and helps us out of that, restores, renews, refreshes. That's the heart of God. Let's go on to read on. It says, but from the beginning of the creation. Now, now Jesus goes back to Genesis chapter 2. He says, but, but from the beginning of creation. You see, divorce wasn't God's original plan for marriage. It happened later on. It wasn't part of, of uh, what God wanted for marriage. Listen, the brokenness in this world 
is not what God wanted. We see the mass shootings. We see the things and the marriages and families have fallen apart. And, 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 but he, uh, and we, we see that, but it was never God's plan for this world to be like that because of the fall and because of the, the, the sin, the brokenness of sin has come into our homes, our families, our marriages, in our world, our government, our communities. Never God's plan for this. It says, goes on to say, that Jesus again is, is uh, bringing this from Genesis 2. It says, God made them male and female. It's a biblical definition between a man, marriage is between a man and a woman. And so he goes on to say, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Here's what Jesus is saying here. He says, the goal of marriage is, is oneness. Oneness in marriage is the goal, not happiness. Not happiness. Physical oneness, that intimacy, and yes, there's joy in that. A minister decided to do something a little different one Sunday morning. He said, today in the church, I'm going to say a single word, and you're going to help me with Help me preach. Whatever single word I say, I want you to sing whatever hymn comes to your mind. The pastor shouted out, the cross. Immediately, the congregation started singing in unison, the old rugged cross. The pastor hauled out grace, and the congregation began to sing, amazing grace. The pastor said, power. The congregation sang, a power in the blood. The pastor said, sex. The congregation fell in stunned silence. Everyone was, was in shock, just as you are. They all nervously began to look around each other, afraid to say anything. And of all of a sudden, from in the back of the church, a little 87-year-old grandmother stood up and began to sing, Precious Memories. Listen, God says very clear when Jesus was speaking, he could have said all the things of the goal of the marriage. It's not happiness. The goal of marriage is oneness. Now, there are fruits of that oneness, joy. There can be happiness. There can be all that. Jesus is saying, and the Pharisees came to Jesus with a popular view Hey, if, if something displeases me, something doesn't make me happy, write a divorce. And Jesus is, is just, he's, he's reprimanding them. He's saying, listen, you've you missed the whole goal of what marriage is. Marriage is not, the, uh, the goal is not happiness, he says, it's oneness. And not oneness also with each other and oneness with God. Oneness, like the Trinity. Let me say this as well. The goal of marriage is not to make you complete. The goal of marriage is not to, to fill all your needs. Only Jesus. We just sang this song in Christ alone. You cannot. You, you are setting the bar too high for your mate to 
feel if you say to your spouse or think in, in your marriage, I am going to have all my needs fulfilled by, your, by being married to you. My wife found that out the second day of our marriage. <laughs> I'm just teasing. The goal of marriage is, is not for your wholeness, your completeness. Listen, and this is where people get this wrong. This is why divorce happens, because they're frustrated. Their expectation is too high. And they're going to the wrong source that makes you complete, that gives you peace, that gives you, that, gives you that, that wholeness, the, the, the satisfaction of life, and that, all, that contentness. Only Jesus can provide that. Only Jesus. If you are expecting that for your mate, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to have a time and time again, you're going to be let down, let down, crying, beating your head against the wall because they're not meeting your needs. They can't. I can't. Only Jesus can meet all your needs. Only he can. And certainly there is joy and there is great a, a love and, and all that wrapped up in marriage. But if we make our spouse, and, and here's, what, here's what, what the clear picture of this, we're taking our spouse and put it into the place of who Jesus, or Jesus, his position. And we're not to do that. That's brokenness. So Jesus was very clear about what, what was, was happening here. I mean, let's go on. Here's something that is really powerful. He said, therefore, and Jesus says this, so he just repeated, he just quoted Genesis chapter 2. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is powerful. This was not in Genesis 2. Jesus is adding something, and it's a bigger punch to what was said in Genesis 2. He said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I love it in the message where it says, it says in this phrase, it says, no one should des desecrate his art by cutting them apart. You like that, Wayne? All right, I'm going to read again because I don't know if you got it. It said, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. Wayne's an artist, that's why. Yeah. Here's a comment that I want to read. I was going to try to put it in my words, but he puts it best. John Piper quotes this of Genesis 2.24. He said, and, and then Jesus adds a comment about this becoming one flesh. It's a comment that explodes like thunder with the glory of marriage. The two shall become one, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What well, therefore... God has joined together. Let no man separate. Well, God has joined together. When a couple speaks their vows, it is not a man or a woman or a pastor or a parent who is the main actor. The main doer, God is. God joins the husband and wife into one flesh. And only he, through his power and strength, can that oneness happen. 
God does it. The world does not know this, which is one of the reasons why marriage is treated so casually and Christians often act like they, they don't know it, which is one of the reasons marriage in the church is not seen as the wonder it is. Listen, I, when there have been couples who have stood right here in this place and they presented themselves before each other and made those vows, it is God who is doing the performance in that marriage. What God has joined together. He created marriage. He sustains the marriage. The marriage that you, before God, is, is, the, is the marriage that God is doing the work. And we're not to resist that, but we're to allow his work to be in, in our lives in a marriage to make us uh, that one flesh. That's why it's so important. Listen, young people. Don't go with the world's view that it's okay to live together before marriage. You're negating or you're shortcutting what God wants to do in your life as a couple. What God has joined together, when you say those vows, it's a spiritual, it's not a physical union, it's not just a party ceremony, it's not just because, you know, it's a social event, it's a spiritual event that God brings two people together. Marriage was planned by God to last a lifetime. There are two basic teachings of marriage. We call them a contract marriage where that person needs to fulfill their obligations or I'm not happy and I'm out of here. I ripped the contract. And then there's the covenant marriage. And this is so important. I want to close with this. And I know I've gone over a little bit longer than usual. But it's so important not to leave us hanging from this. Because we have to understand what marriage means to us and to God. A contract marriage, the power of the contract is based upon performance. It is what the Pharisees believe. Covenant marriage is based upon unconditional love. The couples enter marriage with the goal of meeting the needs of the others, not getting their needs met, but the needs of the others is, is the primary goal. And this covenant marriage is the best example to us and to the world of a relationship with Jesus Christ in us. Marriage is an ongoing vivid illustration, this covenant marriage, a vivid illustration of what it costs to love an imperfect person unconditionally, the same way Christ has loved us. A covenant marriage pictures what God is doing for us and to us, that relationship. A historian states that when Cyrus had taken captives, including a young prince of Armenia with his young and beautiful wife, of whom he was remarkably fond, they were brought before the tribunal of Cyrus to receive their sentence. The warrior inquired of the princess what he would give to be reinstated in his kingdom, and he replied that he valued his crown and his liberty at a very low rate, but that if the noble conqueror would restore his beloved wife to her former dignity and possessions, he would willingly pay his life for the purchase. The prisoners were dismissed and to enjoy their freedom and former honors, and each was lavish in the praise of the conqueror. 
And you, said the prince, addressing his wife, what do you think of Cyrus? I did not observe him, she replied. Not observe him, exclaimed her husband. Upon whom then was your attention fixed? Upon that dear and generous man, she replied, who declared his readiness to purchase my liberty at the expense of his life. This is a beautiful picture of what marriage is. It's a beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads in prayer. If you've been divorced, if you've experienced divorce, then I know some of you have. It's not the end. Oh, it's the end to that relationship, but uh, it isn't the unpardonable sin. It's not the, don't believe the lie of the devil. You have a new chapter. God has a God of second chances. We can move on with God's help and His grace. God has great plans for you. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are even right now of pains and of divorce that are very fresh. We pray for healing. Pray to God that they will just allow you to, to help them through the process moving forward. Help them, Father, not to allow bitterness to become hard hearted through divorce. God, that you will bring comfort, healing, love, restoration. And however that looks, God, we leave that up to you. And pray for marriages here today. It could be marriages that are maybe on the rocks. Maybe the, the divorce word has been mentioned. Pray for the marriages that have set up the wrong goal and the wrong expectations of their spouses. We would have the, the correction from your word and see the beauty of marriage. The beauty of marriage is a process that helps us to become one, helps us to die to our selfishness. Helps us to give a clear picture of a great story of Jesus loving us and going to the cross, sacrificing, laying his life down for us as we are to our spouses. And Father, I pray for those who need Jesus Christ. That they would receive with open hearts 
God, you coming in and helping them. Forgiveness of their sins. Allow your power to be there to help them, perhaps in a marriage or just the circumstances of life, Lord. They would be open to your power coming in through what Christ has done upon a cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.